what a man. What a man. There are many definitions of manhood, many different types of men, uh, rugged and strong and silent and calm. But I think any definition of manhood will have to include the stepfather of Jesus. His name was Joseph. And Joseph usually gets mixed in with the shepherds and the nativity scene. It's hard to distinguish Joseph from the shepherds. He looks just like them. And I noticed that in Matthew, which we're reading today, and also in Luke, he does not have a single spoken word. And yet, when God looked down through eternity, for the man that would raise his son to adulthood... He chose this man. And I want to look at some characteristics of this man this morning because this man is here in this church. There are Josephs in this church. I know the Bible talks about all different kinds of personalities. You have the personality of a Paul. You have the personality of a Luke. You have a Peter. But I am here to tell you there are Josephs in this church. Men that God is looking for that he can count on to do what needs to be done. And we're going to study him for just a few moments this morning. Let's begin. We're reading the account from Matthew. We know there are two accounts in the Gospels of the birth of Christ. Matthew is told from the point of view of Joseph. And Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, he, is, he tells the point of view of Mary. And that's, of course, an incredible, beautiful, wonderful story but not one that we're looking at this morning. So, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, and everyone understands what that little, nice little phrase means, right? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now this little um, phrase in this one verse, has been the rise and fall of many a kingdom. The rise and fall of many a crusade. As Christians, we believe this to be truth. I appreciate how the Bible doesn't um, try to explain how this is. God doesn't seem to give us any explanation of why he chose to do it this way. But as a believer, as, as part of Christianity, we accept this as part of the tenet or our belief, one of the beliefs of our faith. Now, if you're here this morning and you believe, well, I, I do believe that Jesus Christ was an incredible prophet, uh, a, a good man. And he uh, went about the countryside doing good, but you don't believe he was the son of God, then that's part of Christianity. Christianity says that we believe there was a virgin birth. That's not something that we can mix and match. Uh, we know that uh, one of the foundations of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the provable fact that he rose from the dead. But we also know that other people rose from the dead, right? Didn't Jesus say to Lazarus, come forth, and after a few days... When he had been there a while, he was raised from the dead. And there were some uh, other men in the Old Testament and other places. So it's not that fact alone. It's the fact of who God raised from the dead. And it began with this scripture. 
one who was born of a virgin birth. So, what I want to talk about in this one verse is the little word betrothed. And that's a word that we don't use in our culture and we don't use it in this century or last century either. But it's something that is more than an engagement, but less than a wedding. You had all of the uh, obligations of being married. You had to pay the, the bride price and the dowry. You had to sign the contracts between the, both sets of parents. The husband had to work for that next year to provide a home for his bride. And typically in that culture, it was the top floor of the parents' home, and he would get that, that, that floor already. But you did not have that little phrase before they came together. During that year, they were not to have um, sex. I don't know how to sound. I'm trying to see the age of the children we have in here. They were not to do that. So... For one year, Joseph is working, and he's paying financially, and he's doing all these things that were obligated under the law. He's happy to do them. But that one little thing, in the eyes of the law, they were truly married. So if, for example, Joseph were to die during that year period, she would be considered a widow. They were legally married, even though they were not physically together or living together. So it's during this time that Mary comes to Joseph, or Joseph finds out that she is pregnant. This sets the stage for why I believe that Joseph was an incredible, incredible man. And let's go through a couple of things very quickly. His relationship with God was so remarkable that it, that it colored, it affected how he treated his actions toward Mary. The verse says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now today, in the 21st century, it's like, okay, it's not ideal, but what's the big deal? Just either get married or raise the child separately, co-parent, whatever. But it was not, we can't look at this scripture through the eyes of the 21st century. We have to look at the scripture the way it actually happened. We can't look at the scripture with the, with the benefit of hindsight. We have to look at what Joseph actions Joseph took with the information that Joseph had to see how truly remarkable he was. So his relationship with God so marked Joseph. Because we, we read in the, the few scriptures we have of him later on in life of the things, the attention to detail to obey the commands of the Old Testament law. He was faithful. So we see that his relationship with God affected how he was going to treat Mary. So in that culture, in that century, to have your wife essentially come to you and, and say or he find out that she is pregnant that, I mean, that rocked his world. As far as he knew, we have the benefit of, of the scriptures and we know, well, that was the Holy Spirit. But this had never been done before. It has never been done since. He did not have this benefit. For all he knew, the woman that he loved, that he had pledged himself to, that he was working hard to provide for, had been unfaithful to him. And in his mercy... 
Now, gentlemen, of course, I have another point of view because I'm not a, a man, but gentlemen, just for a moment, maybe some of you have had a similar situation of things happening that were not planned. But Joseph only knew that he loved Mary and was thinking, what can I do that's best for Mary? So in his mind, he made the decision, what's best for Mary is if I divorce her quietly, unwilling to put her to shame. I can imagine he was very hurt by this news. I can imagine he was confused by this news. I can only imagine he, he didn't understand what was happening. This wasn't the woman that he loved. And even through that, those emotions, what he decides to do is the best possible thing for Mary in this situation, in that culture, in that century. So what he decided was, I'm going to give her what they called a writ of divorce. And what that meant was he was going to sign a paper. Now, remember, because she is pregnant and she is not yet with her husband, the, she could have been stoned in that culture. There was not an unusual thing to stone a woman who was found in that way. It doesn't make sense to us today. And, of course, we see all of the things about it. But, but we're looking at what happened then and the life that they had. So he thought, what's best for Mary is that I give her a writ of divorce. That means only two people have to witness this legal document, and I don't have to give a reason because I don't want Mary to be ashamed. I don't want Mary to feel the shame that I feel. His whole world has been turned upside down. But this man, his relationship with God was such that he didn't want Mary to feel shame. What a man. The second thing I noticed was his attitude toward Mary. Now, that was an action that he took. The next thing you notice is his attitude toward Mary. Now, the verse goes on to say, but as he considered these things, in biblical times, this was the worst thing that could happen to a couple because it affected everyone in their family. It changed everything. It wasn't anything at all like today. It was a man's world back then. You think it is today? Well, it really was back then. And he was hurt and he was confused. But in the middle of all of that, the Bible says, as he considered all of his options, what's the best thing? You know, he didn't react in anger. He wasn't screaming at her. He wasn't accusing her. What a man. How do you think Mary felt about this man for the rest of her days? It's our reactions to what happens, unexpected things that happen, unexpected circumstances. It's our reaction to what happens when things blow up in our face that really show our maturity in Christ.
We can talk a good game. We can, we can uh, go to small group. We can attend church. We can uh, collect uh, presents for the children. But what reflects our maturity in Christ is how we react when things that we haven't planned on happen. Our reaction to situations beyond our control. Was this situation beyond his control? It was not only beyond his control, he couldn't even comprehend what was happening. He was so hurt. This changed everything about life as he knew it. For Mary as well, of course, that's another sermon. The normal reaction of me or someone like me would be, how is this news going to affect my life? How is this going to affect me? But we see from the scripture, we see from how Joseph carries himself that his thought was, how is this going to affect Mary? Man, I love this man. One of the things that we, that are important to us as pastors, people on staff, small group leaders, everyone that is committed to this church, we are utterly devoted to seeing that husbands and wives walk together with love and respect. That we know, because we know that this is a, this is a calling call card to people who do not know Christ, what it's like to be a Christian. How husbands talk to their wives. How wives love and respect and talk to their husbands. This is supposed to be a different thing. You know, it says in Ephesians, her husbands to love your wives. As much as you love your own body. As much as Christ loved the church. And when we, when they love us that way, and we love them that way, that's a powerful message that goes out beyond these four walls. This is something that God has called us to do. And this is what Joseph is doing for Mary. How will this affect Mary? Third thing I admire about Joseph was his sensitivity to God. Once again, we're, we're reading this with the benefit of knowing the rest of the story. But he didn't. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's the explanation he got. That was it. No, let me walk you through this. Let me hold your hand. Let me, that was it. And remember, uh, Joseph's family was in the, what they called the lineage of David. That means he was in line. He was in that family line through which the Messiah would soon come. Mary, before he knew what was going on, Mary, that just disqualified him from that altogether if they got together. She, of course, will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel said. Now, what's astounding to me is before this happened, before the angels running all over the place, giving, you know, waking him up and he's having dreams, no one had heard the voice of God for the previous 400 years. 
So it's not like, well, I remember grandpa telling me of when an angel of the Lord came and shook him, or I remember my father instructed me how to, how to hear God's voice when an angel comes. He had none of that. They, the prophets hadn't heard a, a, an utterance from God in over 400 years, and yet here we see Joseph sensitive to God's voice, even though he hadn't had it patterned. He only had the prophets of the Old Testament. He didn't have a father to show him how to hear God's voice. And yet we see this man so sensitive to God's voice that when it happens for the first time in 400 years, he obeys. Now, it's difficult to be sensitive to God sometimes. Let me give you some examples of when it's difficult to be sensitive to God and see if any of these line up with what Joseph was walking through. We've already made our own plans. How many times do I do that? Even if I get good counsel, I make my own plans, and I just think, this, is, this must be God's will. This must be it. It seems best to me. And that's what Joseph did. He was thoughtful. He considered. He pondered. What's best for Mary? What's best for her? And he made his plan. And then God interrupted and said, no, no. This is what's happening. I want you to change your plan. This is what I want you to do. And how hard is it to be sensitive to God? We've already made up our mind. We've already made our plan. We've already put it into action. We already have the two witnesses. We already have the document written up. How hard is it to be sensitive and to obey God? We've already got it figured out. We already think we know. But Joseph is carefully changing plan he constructed. It's difficult to be sensitive to God when we are emotionally involved with a problem. Now, for any of you small group leaders and for those of us pastors here, we've, we've all done the premarital counseling. And we all know that when couples come in, the wedding is three months away, or maybe if we're really, really on the ball, or they're really on the ball, the wedding is six months away. But what if there are so many red flags that you're just like, you know what, I would not, I would be failing my responsibility as an overseer if I don't point out to you that he doesn't have a job, that she doesn't really want a husband, that you, you, you don't have a place to live, and that you don't, just red flag after red flag. And I can tell you right now, I've never had one couple yet say, eh, Okay, I'm going to take the dress back. I'm going to take my bridal dress back. Uh, I'm not going to, we're not going to plan the wedding. We're going to put it on hold for a year. Do you think that's going to happen very often? Why? Because we are already involved. They are involved. They are emotionally and perhaps in other ways involved with each other. They have a lot invested in this. And by dingy, this is going to work because their situation is different. Their love is stronger. Their love is deeper. And when we're emotionally involved with the vested outcome of something, it is hard to be sensitive and to listen to God's voice. Was Joseph emotionally involved with Mary? Did he love her and, and, and want to be with her? Had he envisioned a life with her? 
And yet when God came to him and said, I don't want you to divorce her. I want you to take her for your wife, and I don't want you to be afraid. Because what is happening here is from me, through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, even though he was totally involved with, this was going to change everything for him. It's difficult to listen when risk is involved. Every person in his family, and, you know, Jewish families are big, big, big families. Every person involved in his life was not going to understand this, was not going to accept this, was not going to want this, was not going to welcome this. And Joseph, what a man. What a man. People won't understand. You know, for years to come, there was always that whisper, Jesus is illegitimate. Jesus, that's, you don't really believe the story they're telling. And it even says in the Gospel of John that when Jesus was talking to some of the Pharisees, they snidely made, made a remark, well, we are legitimate sons of God. His entire life, Jesus listened to wagging tongues. Joseph knew that. People are not going to understand. And it's hard to be sensitive to God when we know people aren't going to, they're not going to understand while I'm, while I'm selling my business and, 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 and planting a church over here. People aren't going to understand why I'm giving a 10% tie to the church. People aren't going to understand why I'm not going to marry this man. People aren't going to understand why I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school and get my degree. People aren't going to understand. But Joseph, obeyed anyway. And the last thing is his obedience to God. There are four times in this short passage of scripture, a couple chapters, where Joseph needs instruction because this is uncharted territory. He doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. He, he's, just, he's just waiting for revelation from God. And the first time, of course, we know is when the angel came and said, look, don't, don't do what you're going to do. Don't be afraid. I want you to marry her. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her. Until her son was born. What a man. That's the first time. His obedience. He did what he was asked to do even though he had no clue how that could be. It never been hap- it's never been done before. The second time was um, when King Herod, and most of us know the story. And I, I don't have the time to read it, but we all know about King Herod. And King Herod was, uh, was a name that in that time, in that region, would send chills down your spine. Because he was a cruel king. He was a vindictive king. And he was a jealous king. 
And so when this ruler heard people starting to whisper and, and people fall, coming from far away, talking about a king is born, a new king is born, there's a king is born, change is here, he was not happy. So we know the story. He told the wise men, come back when you find him because I want to worship him too. And I can just hear the sinister music playing in the background. But after the wise men had gone, so they found the, the child Jesus by that time, and we know they brought him the presents and things. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. I love the fact that Joseph was willing to do these hard things that God called him to do. Let's see here. Joseph accepted the consequences and the complications of making the right decision. Have you ever had to, had to make a decision? You knew what the right thing to do was, and you did it. You stood firm, but man, the ripples that went out from that decision. Have you ever said the right thing? You knew it was the right thing to say. You did it with, with the right motive, with the right heart, and it was the right thing to say, and it was the right time. But once you said it, man, did that complicate things. Man, did that have consequences. And that's what's happening with Joseph. One of the consequences was, from that point on, he was in fear for his life, for the life of his stepson, for the life of his wife. It says he had to flee. He had to get up and he had to go. And this wasn't just a, hey, let's get in the car and drive to the mountains kind of go. This was 200 miles of rough terrain. 200 mi- 150 of those miles were desert. There were robbers, there were bandits, there was no sanitation, there were steep hills, there were deep valleys. This was what he accepted as a consequence of obeying God. This is what was a complication, knowing that people were going to whisper about his son. Then here it dies, coast is clear. Angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph again. Get up, he said again. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. And on the way, they hear that Herod's son has now ascended to the throne. And guess what? He didn't like the baby either. So, after being warned in a dream, this is now the fourth time he's had contact with the living God in a totally unique way. He left for the region of Galilee. The family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. There are Josephs in this room right here. There are men that God is looking. What I find so fascinating is of all of the I know that there were Old Testament prophecies that needed to come to pass. And in the fullness of time, the Bible says. But I'm fascinated and so in love with the man that God chose to be the stepfather for his son. What a responsibility you stepfathers have. 
natural fathers as well. This elevates. He, you know, on the Christmas cards, it's Mary and Jesus that get the. But Joseph had to have been the kind of man that God looked down on and said, that's that's the man I can entrust my son to. He was a man of conviction. He was a man of deep faith. He was a man of courage. He didn't ask for any of it. But his identity came from obeying God. We know about Joseph because he was a man that obeyed what God asked him to do. I'm going to ask Pastor David to join me. And if y'all will stand, he's going to pray over you men. Um, I know that there are men in this congregation that God is speaking to you. And he wants to mold you in a different way. He wants to use you in a different way. To be the kind of man like Joseph that is courageous and steadfast. And the consequences and the complications will not shake you. And may cause you to lose your faith or question if God is there. Joseph didn't question. He obeyed. And he goes down throughout history as that man that, that was the stepfather to Jesus. I love it. Pastor David. Pray with me. Lord, what kind of man do you want me to be? Because what you say I need to be, that's it. That's the fact. Lord, if I am too harsh with my children, when things get difficult, make my heart softer and more sensitive that I'm not overbearing. Lord, if I need to be more strict, I just am a pushover. When things get hard, I just throw up my hands and give up. Make me more rigid. Lord, if I, if I am having trouble speaking loving words to my wife when things get hard and encouraging, make me a Barnabas. Make me somebody who brings encouragement and stability in those times. Lord, if you're calling me to something other than what I had planned, help me to release my grip on my control issues. Lord, make me the kind of man who walks like Jesus did, always doing what the Father instructed. Make us those kind of men. Make us more like Joseph, who in difficulty sought God and heard his voice and responded. Lord, we thank you that we get to walk this out and test it in our families. So Lord, we ask for your help and blessing on our families right now and make us the men who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.